we have been dedicated a lot of money in studying, uh, you know, lands, but really know, know more about, you know, moon surface than to, to our sea, to our oceans. So we need to know uh, our oceans better in order to protect them because uh, we have just one ocean. Our natural world inspires and shapes us. So it's more critical than ever that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation. And this is Planet Visionaries, a podcast in partnership with Rolex's Perpetual Planet Initiative and the Washington Post Creative Group. Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative support explorers, innovators, and visionaries who strive to protect our natural world. I'm proud to be bringing you some of their stories from the cutting edge of conservation. On this episode, I get to speak with Biagio Violi and Giulio Mani, each working with organizations striving to protect marine life in the Mediterranean. Hi, guys. Great to talk to you today. Hi, Alex. Nice to meet you. Hi, Alex. Can you guys each introduce yourself and, and tell me what you do and, and where you're from? I'm Giulio Magni from Milano, Italy. And over the last five years, I've been working for One Ocean Foundation as operating director. We are dedicated to ocean conservation, to research activities, environmental protection and educational activities. I am Biagio Violi. I'm a marine biologist and a researcher of Main Cab Respiro del Mare Association. My association is located in Savona, in the middle of uh, Ligurian Sea. We are working on uh, monitoring activities for uh, cetacean and marine mammals of the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, and so what are cetaceans? Uh, cetaceans are marine mammals. They spend all their life in, in, uh, in the sea. In the uh, Mediterranean Sea, we have eight species of cetaceans. We have sperm whales, cuvier beaked whales, resource dolphins, pilot whales, um, striped dolphins, common dolphins, and bottlenose dolphins. These species, uh, they born in the uh, Mediterranean Sea. They grow up in the Mediterranean Sea. And they do all the life cycle in the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a very important area because it's full of uh, cetacean and uh, mammals. Also, it's uh, an area in which we have a lot of uh, human activities. So it's it's endangered uh, area, especially for mammals, because we have human impacts and at the same time, high level of uh, biodiversity uh, in that area. And where did you each get your passion for the ocean? Well, I did since, since I was a child. When I saw the, per, the first time a sperm whale and a humpback whale in a documentary, I was really impressed by this huge animal. And the most important thing that hit my mind was when I understand that the sperm whale is able to hold the breath for 45 minutes. So it's an animal that is able to spend 45 minutes at 1,000 meters below the surface looking for sweet. And then it needs just 10 minutes at surface to breathe again and then start another cycle of free diving. And I decided when I was probably 10 or 11 years old that I wanted to meet a sperm whale and understand something more about their life and their biology. And Julia? I spent all my summers in the sea. And thanks to sailing, I'm a, I'm a sailor actually, so my parents brought me to on a sailboat when I was really a, a child. I liked the, this environment. I liked the, the peaceful, the beauty of the sea, of the mammals that you can see on a boat. 
And then I decided to start a degree in biology and uh, taking uh, an expertise uh, uh, specialization in ocean biology, in, in, sea, in sea ecology, actually. And how did you each translate that passion for the ocean and, you know, those academic studies? How did you both transition into working in the field and, and working with the, the specific organizations that you do? I decided to, to move from a pure scientific approach to a more management uh, studies. I studied the also business and the economics uh, because I, I wanted to understand how to, to change how companies act in order to be more sustainable and to reduce their impact on the ocean. So in order to find a way to have a positive impact on the environment, I decided to help companies to improve their operations in order to make them understand what they are doing, how they are impact on the ocean, on the, on the sea. I liked very much the solutions, you know, not only the research part, but also the best practices, the technologies and innovations that companies and corporations can put in place in order to make a difference. I, I realized that I need to, to take the contact with the sea. So I chose to go to Genoa to start my studies in marine sciences. Here I discovered this new field that is the population genetics. It means using the DNA, so keeping spending time in, in, the, in the lab, but at the same time for doing something that is understanding how the population in the nature, they move, if they are isolated in some areas, if they are connected with other areas. So I, I choose this field for my PhD, the population genetics. After that, I discovered also the, this methodology that helps you to, to recognize every single animal. We do all these activities we do uh, when, with the research. So people can understand and see nature with different eyes and they can and develop a sort of awareness for protecting sea life. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've done a lot of these interviews for Planet Visionaries now, and it, and it feels like a common theme that people start with academic curiosity and then, you know, they pursue their studies and they learn the basic science. But then at some point they feel almost an obligation to, to transition into conservation work or to try to protect the things that they're studying. And so I'm curious, have either of you guys seen changes in the ocean over your lives? Like, you know, where, where, did, that, where did that desire come from for you guys? The first thing is to see how our sea is getting worse in terms of pollutants and in general, the conditions of Mediterranean Sea, uh, you really can see, you really can touch the difference compared to 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I was a child. So this can, can really feel you the, the necessity to do something and to spread awareness, as Biagio said. And uh, at the same time, our sea is losing biodiversity. When I was a child in Sardinia, for instance, was very, very easy to see dolphins by the coastline. And nowadays it's quite difficult to see whales, for instance. So you can touch the difference. You, you can touch the impact of, a, of a human activities. 
So I've uh, spent a fair amount of time in Mallorca and Sardinia climbing along the coast and, and sort of swimming into different cliffs and deep water soloing and et cetera. And I have to say, when I was doing the research for this interview, I was shocked to, to hear that there, that there are different species of whale and dolphin and that they're, you know, sort of biodiversity hotspots like off the coast of Italy. So I was like, man, my experience in the Mediterranean has always felt like the only living thing you see are jellyfish. Because it's, it's getting warmer, the, the water and the jellyfish, is, they are growing a lot. When you say that the Mediterranean is getting very, very warm, is that just a direct result of climate change? I would say, I would say yes. The last summer, we, we had the highest temperature that we have ever recorded. Yeah, it's, it's getting warmer faster than other seas and other oceans. They also working with cetacean, we can see directly with our eyes the impact of human activity on these animals because you can see really well on the body of these animals the sign of the marks of, uh, of a ship strike. For example, we have a famous uh, sperm whales that we name Atlante that has, is without one third of the fluke that has been cut by, the, by a propeller. And the, the fluke is the tail? It's the tail, yes, exactly. Yes. Yep. One third of the tail is missing. We found dead sperm whales on the beach and we found that inside the stomach was full of plastic. So that's why we need to keep collecting data on this and bring these examples to the public so everyone can see and, and understand the, the human impact on this species. Within their organizations, Viaggio and Giulio combine their passions for marine life and conservation. So how did you each come to your current organizations? Viaggio, like how do you wind up at MenCab and, and Giulio, how do you wind up at One Ocean? Well, when I started in my, my university in, uh, in Genoa, MenCab was the organization they used to bring the students at sea for doing the, the internship. So I started as a master student. I started just collecting data within my, in my sheets. And then I kept working there and I wanted to go on working with this organization. Right now, I'm the second leader of this organization and I'm really glad to be here. Julia? Uh, One Ocean Foundation launched uh, a summit six years ago in Milan, dedicated to ocean conservation. was the first uh, big summit in Italy on that topic, and uh, I decided to send my, an application, and that's it. And so what specifically does the One Ocean Foundation do? We have been working on three main pillars. The first one is we have been studying the relationship between businesses and the ocean, how companies and industries uh, uh, generate positive and negative impacts on the ocean. I mean, are there examples of positive impacts? So a lot of companies have been starting to promote awareness, to promote the importance of the protection of the environment. I would say that, but there are also companies that they are starting to include in their mission also the protection of the environment and of the ocean as well. And the, the second area is educational activities. So we have been trying to create materials and activities for younger generations in order to make them aware of their role for the ocean protection. And the third area is scientific research We have been trying to collect the data of this project. It's called Canyon of Caprera project in the northern eastern part of Sardinia. Uh, it's a huge canyon. It's more than 1,000 meters deep. 
and it's a very rich area of mammals. But unfortunately, in that area, in that canyon, we have also a huge amount of pollutants, plastic, for instance. And we have been collecting a lot of data thanks to environmental DNA allows us to collect samples of water and to understand which kind of mammals or animals over the last two days. We also put some acoustics buoy in that area in order to record uh, mammals uh, sounds. And uh, our goal is to make this area a protected area, but at the first time, a, a relevant area for mammals, that it's uh, the first stage in order to have it as a protected area. I have uh, some follow-up questions about environmental DNA and, and how you're tracking animals. But first, Biagio, can you explain what MenCab does? What we do is the data collection and the monitoring activity for a better understanding of uh, cetacean biology, ecology, and we are also glad to be part of Rolex Perpetual Planet Initiative because for in order to protect these animals, we need to know more and more about the biology and the ecology of these different species. So first topic is the research. The second one really important is the education. So I used to do in the school, just bringing my pictures and my videos and showing them what we see in this area. Most of the time, children and also adults, they don't know that they have in front of their cities the second biggest animal of the world. So it's really important to educate the new generation. What, what are some of the most interesting things that you guys have discovered through this sort of forensic examination, like the, the environmental DNA, the photos, the hydrophones, like all these interesting and sort of innovative ways to, to measure these populations. Like what are the things that have surprised you guys personally? I, I thought it was quite impossible to see monk seals in our sea, but we found traces of, of this animal and it surprised me a lot. We were able to understand that we have a lot of animals underneath the, the sea surface that we cannot see. And uh, I was really surprised. We, we, we don't know a lot of things. Yes, I would say when we discovered the pod of five killer whales that we had here in Genoa came from Iceland. So this pod on 2019 in December, they arrived here in Ligurian Sea. This one was one of, of, of our unexpected dis discovery. But another one was when we saw the uh, gray whales. Gray whales, they used to live in Pacific Ocean. We know that the Atlantic population of gray whales was extinct since 200 years, more or less. So probably this animal was able to cross the northern part of America. So there was no ice. So probably this was a sign about the climate change. So this was also a really unexpected event that we saw here. Yeah, Julio, you were talking about uh, the monk seals and how not that much is known about their habitat, where they live, how they live, because they're such a rare animal. And I think it was last season on Planet Visionaries, I interviewed a uh, man named Brad Norman, who works with whale shark conservation. The thing that struck me from that interview is that not that much is known about where whale sharks breed or how they live. I mean, and it made me realize that there are huge gaps in, in sort of basic scientific knowledge. I guess what you were just saying about the monk seals is just a reminder that there are big holes in our knowledge, and we actually don't know that much about how some of these animals live in, in the ocean. 
Yeah, exactly. We have been dedicated a lot of money in studying, you know, lands and everything. It's over the surface, but we really know no more about, you know, moon surface than to our sea, to our oceans. We need to know our oceans better in order to protect them because we have just one ocean. All the oceans and the seas are, are connected. We need to have a global vision of the ocean. Cooperation and support from partners around the globe are critical to Biagio and Giulio's innovative work. Biagio, earlier you mentioned the Perpetual Planet Initiative and your support from Rolex for the, the Mencab uh, Foundation. Can each of you describe the, the partnership and the support that you received from Rolex? They supported one of our main projects. So we use the acoustics for tracking the sperm whales, trying to understand their underwater behavior, trying to understand how much they may feed in our submarine canyon. As I said before, when you go at sea, you need proper uh, sea condition for uh, looking for whales and dolphins. But in winter time, the sea is not flat as in the summer. So you can go out and just place your hydrophone underwater and, and trying to recording any clicks. They produce these clicks when they are looking for prey. They do it for echolocation. So one of our projects is supported by Rolex was this because we went out at sea in the in the winter time trying to collect more data about sperm whale presence. Another part of the project is the photo identification project. We have a catalog in which we have about 120 sperm whales identified. For example, last week we saw an, a sperm whale that is called Gandalf and we know him since 2010. He has a sign on the body that is derived from an interaction with the fishing gear. So in this way, we are trying to assess the number of sperm whales that cross the area. So they supported this project, Catodon, that uses population genetics, acoustics and photo identification that are three uh, approaches really important for understanding more and more about the biology and the ecology of this big predator that is endangered in our Mediterranean Sea. We are also part of a Perpetual Planet Initiative of, of Rolex and we, we have been studying also the noise pollution generated by human activities, especially in in Canyon of Caprera, we figure out that there are a lot of problems generated by these boats in terms of noise, in terms of collisions of mammals with these boats. And we, we have been studying and we have been uh, trying to investigate what kind of innovations and technologies can be provided and can be shared with these companies in order to to avoid these collisions and this kind of, of pollutants. So what does the Perpetual Planet Initiative mean to each of you? You know, you're both supported through the work, but, but what does the idea of a perpetual planet mean to you? I think that the goal of this project is to, to try to, to create new pristine area and to create area that can be protected by human activities and try to collect all the information, all the data to to say to scientific community, look, we have a problem here, we need to preserve, we need to do something to make this area protected. I think this is the idea of Perpetual Planet projects to invest in areas that are pristine, that are particularly 
high value area and to to make scientific community aware of the importance of the biodiversity of, of our sea. Yes, for us also an important point of the perpetual planet is to explore also some area that is considered as extreme. For example, also the submarine canyon is something that we know that exists this sort of underwater valley that are below our ocean, below our sea. And these areas are hotspots of biodiversity. What we know that is, is that in here, in this area, there are these movements of the water that is called upwelling. That means all the nutrients come up from the, from the bottom of the sea. For this reason, we have several prey. And then when there are the prey, we find the predators. There we found the big predators, sperm whales, cuvier big whales, rhesus dolphins, pilot whales. So thanks to Perpetual Planet, we are trying to understand more and more about these predators in this area and trying to see the way we can understand more and more about their life and trying to protect them. And are there any other benefits of being a, a partner of Rolex? I think that Rolex was very important because they decided to invest in uh, innovative solutions. So, for instance, eDNA was not so common uh, research uh, initiative. So the, we were a pioneer in this in this field and they decided to, to support us. So that's a very, very important. You're right that that is sort of interesting because environmental DNA studies do seem like they're right at the the cutting edge of, of what people do for conservation. I mean, I, ne I never heard of it until reading about uh, the work that you guys are doing. For Biagio and Giulio, the future of conservation starts with people understanding what there is to lose. So Biagio, how is your work progressing and, and what are your hopes for the future of MenCab? We are keeping doing our research on sperm whales, so what we want to do is trying to place some underwater hydrophone that can record for all year, for 365 days, non-stop recording, trying to understand all the sounds that are in the area. Another important project is keeping working with the school with the young generation. This is our key point. We understand that if you explain, if you impress students and young generation about the problem of our sea, you will see that they they will do directly some action. You show the pictures of the stomach contact of the sperm whales with the plastic plate that they used to use in the in the party. So they understand directly. And, and Julio, how is uh, the work progressing and, and what are your hopes for the future of the, the One Ocean Foundation? So our main goal is to release in the next year a framework, a tool for companies in order to, to help them to investigate and to, to measure and to minimize their impact on the ocean. It's important to make them aware of their impact direct and indirect impact, as I mentioned before, and that will uh, help companies to set strategies and to set goals to minimize uh, their impact on the ocean and to spread awareness. We really believe that big companies, as I said, uh, uh, need to, to take commitments and to promote goals for our ocean first. What advice would each of you guys give to anyone interested in doing the same kind of conservation work? I would say that first you have to study, of course, but you have to keep your mind open 
and avoid to focus just on uh, on one topic probably and to interact to trying to understand what companies can do what institutions can do what others university can do on on these topics yes i agree <clears throat> i agree with julio i suggest a lot to my students also to for starting also with the general knowledge for example in our case starting with the biological sciences in general and then going to a specific or several specific topic but the really important point is trying to change uh, your uh, study group so not to stay always in the, in the same team or at least for a small period for a small time going in another place uh, doing some internship you know in different part of the world so you can you can meet different people and learn by with different approach and finding a good situation and really bad situation that is also really important so you understand how to handle all this different situation so from my experience i have not ever been just in, in the ligurian sea i was in sicily i was here i was in azores i was in africa i was in england so i moved a lot and all this kind of experience gave me really important tips And also what the most important thing is that you understand the importance of cooperation. What advice would you give to the average person as to how they could help keep the planet perpetual? Yeah, I think that it's really important to promote these topics and to promote their scientific information, so the right information on, on these problems. I really believe that it's crucial to involve global leaders because it's important to spread awareness throughout young generations that they can have an impact. An important thing is trying to get them in touch with nature. So going on field work and then see animals, trying to see the the problem that these animals are facing and talk with experts. And I think trying to get the most authentic experience is a really important point and then make these people aware about the problem of our ocean. Hmm. And to move to Italy as well. <laughs> the most beautiful <laughs> place in the world. No, I'm joking, but... <laughs> Those were marine biologists and ocean advocates, Giulio Mani and Biagio Violi. I'm Alex Arnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave a review to help others find it. On our next episode, I'll be speaking with Allison Crisitello, a glaciologist who's using ice cores from the highest mountain in Canada to build a picture of what today's changing climate means for our future. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next generation of environmental innovators at rolex.org.